we are delighted to be joined by author and pastor Herman Mendoza. Herman, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, David. Ah, it's a pleasure. Really excited to hear your test me today. I know you've got such a good story to tell us. Let's start at the beginning. What was it like being raised in Queens, New York in the 70s? Um, it's a very diverse city. Yeah. Um, we have uh, uh, over 55 languages spoken in, just in the borough of Queens. Yeah. And um, so I was raised in Queens. My parents are from the Dominican Republic. Yeah. And uh, being raised in a community where it's such a diverse community um, was really interesting uh, for uh, a person like me um, from, uh, you know, Hispanic background. Yeah. And so it was uh, really interesting growing up in this community with different folks from different countries. I'm turning 50, so I was raised pretty much in the in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and so we had a lot of, um, the fad was, you know, music and hip hop was just starting. Um, even though I was listening to a lot of the, the disco music yeah. <laughs> uh, at the time, um, but uh, hip hop was, was a new uh, music, new culture, and uh, break dancing was really prevalent in our community. So I, you know, I was really interested in that kind of, uh, you know, uh, lifestyle to kind of get involved with breakdancing and hip hop. Uh, so, uh, that was sort of the trend during that era. Yeah. And you were one of five, right? Is that correct? Yes. I'm the youngest of five brothers. So you can only imagine, <laughs> you know, five, you know, four siblings and all of us, you know, within the five brothers, you know, fighting for, uh, competing against one another so I, I, we had that kind of environment at home yeah uh, but you know me being the youngest of five uh, i used to always uh you know kind of get over with things you know because uh, i was looked at as the youngest and was it a christian home not not necessarily not not really um my dad came out of uh you know uh christianity at, at a younger age and he had uh left the church mm. and so we didn't have a lot of um the word in our home yeah uh, even though my mom was uh you know catholic uh, at the time and uh she you know still instilled in us the catholicism and the catholic ways but uh, you know it wasn't a, a it wasn't a relationship with christ it wasn't uh what i know of jesus today yeah, yeah. so i really didn't have that kind of uh, you know christian uh upbringing at my home yeah sure so how old was you when you started to get into trouble then herman I was uh, fairly young. I was uh, 12, 13 years old. I started to experiment with drugs and uh, marijuana. And then eventually uh, that led me to um, use cocaine. Then I got involved in selling, you know, small amounts of cocaine in my community. Uh, and that also got, you know, me into trouble with, um, with uh, rival gangs in the area. Got involved with gangs and uh, ended up in uh, juvenile detention center mm -hmm. for a robbery uh, that we committed with a, a few of my friends. Um, and so I spent a few months in prison. And when I was released, uh, my mom had something prepared for me. She says, you know, uh, I want you to come out. I'm going to buy you uh, a bicycle. You know, maybe that can entertain you and for you can do other things rather than get yourself into trouble and so she drove me to the airport and she said you're going to my parents home uh so i was sent to dominican republic uh to be straightened out by my grandparents thinking that that would you know kind of change the course of 
the lifestyle I was living. Yeah. Um, but I became a nuisance to my grandparents. Mm -hmm. I was causing a lot of headaches. Uh, they put me in a private school. Uh, eventually, got expelled from the school because I, uh, you know, decided not to attend. And so my grandparents said, "Okay, you want to make you know your life uh, uncomfortable here in the Dominican Republic." So they sent me off to. Uh, they, my grandfather owned um, some land, and he was a farmer, and so he put me to work, and I had a machete in my hand, and so I was, uh, you know, working the fields, and uh, I was like, you know, I didn't come to the Dominican Republic for this, mm -hmm. and so I started to consume alcohol and just create havoc in my household there in the Dominican Republic. They contacted my mom and said, Send them back to New York. I, you know, he's a nuisance. Yeah, we can't tolerate him. And so they sent me back to New York after about a year there. Uh, I had met my wife um, in the Dominican Republic at the time. You know, we became uh, acquainted, and then uh, I met her once again in, in New York. And so they sent me back to New York. I decided to change my life, thinking, you know, no more drugs. I'm not going to consume no, no drugs. I'm not going to sell drugs. Uh, but then it got caught up again. I tried it. Then eventually went cold turkey. Mm -hmm. I decided not to use any drugs any longer. Uh, got married to my wife after high school. And then uh, got into trouble uh, way after that, uh, years later. And what did that trouble look like? Well, this is in my early 20s. Um, I was, uh, at the time I was working and then um, I had gotten laid off. Um, and my brothers were involved with uh, drug distribution mm -hmm. uh, throughout, you know, the United States. And I, I knew what they were involved in. And they had a lot of money and cars and, you know, and I saw what they were doing. But I didn't want anything to do with that kind of lifestyle because mm -hmm. as a young person in my teenage years, I experienced that. So I experienced, you know, getting into trouble, using narcotics, selling narcotics. And so I didn't want any part of that lifestyle. But... Mm -hmm. Uh, I was unemployed, I got laid off from work, and so I called my brother and said, hey, you know, I want to, you know, help you out, but I don't want to get involved physically with the narcotics, and he said, okay, sure, just come over and count some money. So I went over to an apartment, I counted $1.2 million in cash, wow. and got a few, you know, there was a, a, a Mac-10 there, uh, counting machines, and mm -hmm. I figured this is an easy way to make money. And so he gave me a few thousands of dollars. And so I got caught up in that whole, uh, in, you know, the whole industry of, of, of uh, distributing cocaine and got uh, deeply involved, uh, started transporting hundreds and hundreds of kilos of cocaine until eventually was arrested uh, with 31 kilos of cocaine uh, in the trunk of a vehicle that I was driving, which I was transporting the drugs to a client in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And my brother and I got arrested, uh, hired the, the, you know, the top attorneys here in New York City, uh, thinking that would help me. Um, next day, I read the paper. Uh, it was, you know, blasted in all of the newspapers in New York City. Uh, you know, two brothers incarcerated, got caught with $3.1 million of cocaine, um, facing life in prison. And so when I saw that life in prison, you know, it really caught my attention. Mm -hmm. uh, and I kind of saw my life shattered. I was a very, you know, again, I was in my 20s, um, thinking about my wife. At the time, I had uh, two children. And um, 
And so I was thinking, you know, what's going to happen next? And so the attorneys got us a good deal, got me three to nine in prison. Um, they gave my brother four to 12 because they had uh, other investigations on him. And so they sent me to uh, Rikers Island, which is a notorious uh, prison here in New York City. I was there for a number of months, waiting to get transferred over to the penitentiary. Mm. And an opportunity opened up where if it was a first, I was a first offender as an adult, nonviolent, and it was just narcotics, that I would have the opportunity to go to um, a military camp called Shock. And pretty much is uh, um, trying to, you know, scare you straight. Yeah. And so I did that for six months. And prior to uh, ending the program, I remember going to a chapel and asking God, I don't know if I was speaking to God, but I was saying, if you can get me through this program, I promise you that I would not drink alcohol for six months. What kind of promise was that, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was a total ignorance on my part. Yeah. And so I was thinking I can negotiate with God to say, you know, I'll stop my drinking because you know, when I was uh, in the world, when I was doing the, the sales, you know, I was spending thousands and thousands of dollars a day and in clubs and with celebrities and, and mansions. And I was thinking, I was, you know, I thought I was on top of the world, you know, having all this kind of money, millions of dollars passing through my hands, spending thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars. And so I made this promise to God saying, if you can, you know, get me through this. I promise you, I would not drink alcohol for six months. Yeah, <laughs> and so I was eventually released. I finished the program and landed a job, uh, and uh, left the job uh, because one day I, I said, "You know what? I lasted six months of sobriety. Now I'm going to celebrate um, this six months of sobriety and 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 really enjoy my life." And so I went out with a friend went to a restaurant and lo and behold, as the enemy sets you up, uh, the person I ran into in this particular restaurant bar, uh, was a guy that I was, I used to have dealings with in the past. And now he was a top Lieutenant in the, uh, Colombian cartel. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was distributing over a ton of cocaine to the United States. And so, he recognized me and says, Hey, what's up? And he knew that I had, you know, done time before, uh, you know, he, he, had, he had heard about what was, you know, what happened to me in the past. He says, look, if you ever want to get into the business again, let me know. I, I can make myself available as much drugs as you want. I'll give you three, four, five, $10 million of consignment and you can start tomorrow. And so I was with this other gentleman. He kind of overheard my conversation. And I, I told the Colombian, uh, the, the friend of mine, I said, no, I don't want to get into this thing again. You know, I did my time. And so uh, the friend that I was having a drink with said, hey, it'll be like, you know, in the past, you're the boss and I'll run all the drugs for you. I'll do all the runs. And so I, as the scripture says, as the dog returns to his vomit, I went back into the business of distributing cocaine. You mentioned that the cars, the money, the mansions. Was there a sense of 
a bit like what we see in Ecclesiastes, we're chasing after the wind. Did you did you ever get a sense of satisfaction when you was living in this lifestyle? At that point, you know, when I was spending all this money and I felt I was on top of the world, it became more and more to me at that time was more power. Yeah. Since I had all the money, it was more about power. And then when I obtained that power, it was just the adrenaline rush. It was just just you know just to get involved in in the in the business yeah um and so you know i didn't realize at that point how you know king solomon felt that it was just a chasing after the wind that everything was meaningless because uh, i didn't know the lord yeah and so um when i was you know again reintroduced again with this uh cartel that he said that he had about a ton of cocaine i got involved once again and so i started to move hundreds and hundreds of kilos of cocaine yeah and i was putting people to work for me yeah and so i had i have another brother that at the time he had other you know dealings with uh the dea and they were looking for him and he got caught with 87 kilos and two million dollars of cash he had fled the country and when he came back uh there were people that gave him in and so he got arrested we got him out on bail on a half a million dollars and so he started to work with me mm-hmm. and he introduced me to one of his old acquaintances that was a driver. And so this particular individual was working with the DEA and we gave him about 11 kilos of cocaine and, uh, you know, he gave our names in and, um, he, he had given us a partial payment of the drug transaction that we, you know, we were doing. And so when we looked at the money, it was all in, in sort of like in uh, sequences of uh, digital sequences of, of the numbers. And we realized at that point that he was working with the DEA. Yeah. And so um, I'm over here trying to protect myself. I had drivers drive me around and eventually got arrested. They, they finally uh, caught us, the DEA. And um, I was bailed out half a million dollars. And my brother, uh, the one that was working with me, the one that they were looking for, that we had bailed out for a half a million dollars, they didn't. They revoked his bail, and uh, he was he was in jail. And so I was out. I spoke to my attorneys, and my attorneys said, "Look, you're confronting 25 years to life in prison." Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I went on the land. I jumped bail. I was so confused. I was so empty. I was consuming alcohol every day. In the morning. I would drink Guinness Stout. At lunch, I would drink Heineken. At dinner, I would drink, this is this would be my sustenance. Yeah. This would be my food. Yeah. I would drink cognac and whiskey. I was just trying to numb the feeling of desperation, of isolation, of nowhere to run, nowhere to go. Not even the, the kinds of money that I had could fulfill that emptiness that I was feeling. Mm-hmm. And so my brother... Uh, the one that got arrested with, with me on, on the federal case, um, he gave his life to the Lord in prison. And he prayed and he said, God, send my brother to the same prison cell where I'm located at so I can share the gospel with him before they kill him out in society. Now, God would have it no other way. People would think, how can you pray to send your brother into a prison to be locked up with you? Yeah. But it is for, to get my attention yeah. so I can listen to the gospel. Yeah. 
And so one day, out on the lamb, you know, out on the lamb, I, I'm trying to find uh, places to stay at, staying in casinos and, and different apartments that I've had in the city. I decided to go home. And, and I went home. And I, li- I lived in a gated community. And they recognized who I was. Uh, they let me go through. Um, and I got to my home. And I laid down. I was drunk. And the very next day, I received a phone call. And my wife uh, answered uh, the phone call. And they said, this is the police. We have the marshals, DEA, FBI. We have your house surrounded. Tell your husband to toss any guns he may have in the home and give himself in. The very first reaction, what I did was I put on my clothes. I tried to jump out the window. Cops were there. They said, freeze. I went back in and I told my wife, my life is over. Mm-hmm. Open the door. And so they, you know, they barged in the home. They arrested me. Um, they tossed me in and they hauled me away in, in their vehicle. And as I turn around, I see them sort of celebrating. And my wife later on tells me that they were rejoicing that they, you know, arrested a you know big time drug dealer. Rightly so. But at the same token, my wife felt an emptiness. It says that she was saying that they had taken her husband away and a father of her children. And so as they were driving to the prison, I told the driver, the the, uh, marshal, the law enforcement officers, open the door. I don't want to live. I said, my life is over. And he said, look, you never know what could take place in your case. You have a big case, but you never know. Thank God he didn't open the door. And so um, I, I went to, I, I waived my extradition. Um, they sent me to uh, MDC Brooklyn, to Federal Detention Center in, in Brooklyn, in New York. And what does God do? He sends me to the same facility, same dormitory, and same cell block my brother was at. <laughs> and so he, he sees me, he rejoices, and he says, praise the Lord, praise God. And I look at him, and I'm like, what's all this salutation about praise the Lord? I said, praise God, praise the Lord. I said, man, we're in prison. What do you mean praise the Lord? We're in jail. Yeah. So I didn't understand this new language, this new transformation, this new, the continents of his face, his facial expression was just totally different. Uh, his words were different. And so, you know, he kept on talking to me about God. and uh, My case took a turn. Uh, I was confronting 25 years, uh, and there was no other recourse but to look up, but to look towards God. And so um, one day he invited me to chapel, and I went there, and my wife had left me. I had hired two additional attorneys. They said, look, your case is going to be very bad. You're looking at, you know, life in prison. And I heard the God, I was, you know, I was talking to God. I was saying, if you're for real, all I want is for you to fill this void that I'm experiencing because I was so depressed. Yeah. I was so empty. I was so down, you know, and I, I just, I, I just talked to God and said, Lord, if you're for real, just, you know, fill this void. Just, you know, talk my heart, talk to me. I want to know that I want to, I want to feel your presence. I mean, I, I had no, you know, religious experience, had no understanding about God. But I just had that kind of, um, you know, the, those feelings just to communicate with him and let him know how I felt. 
So I went to the chapel, and the preacher that was speaking, he was he's he kind of said the same thoughts and words that I was that I was, you know, talking to God about. Yeah. And I knew that God was using him to talk to me to convey this message about salvation. And he said, "Look, you know, this is you. Just come to the altar. You've been you've been running away from God all your life. You know, this is the day that." You can meet God, and God can change your life around, and He can fill that void. And so, I went to the altar, and I, I just started to cry, and, and I received Christ that day. And you know, people say that when they get converted or, or they experience God and they're born again, that there's really some say that there's no, you know, evident experience or evidence in that transformation, or some say that they feel the presence of God. I can attest that I felt God's presence, his Holy Spirit, the warmness, uh, and and that still voice, not an audible voice, but it was more like the Holy Spirit kind of confirming what I was saying to God. That I'm here, I'm here to fill that board. You know, I love you. I want to change your life. And ever since then, you know, in prison, I, I, I wanted to make to make amends with the people that I've harmed and that I hurt, uh, the, 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 the girls that I was, you know, uh, having an affair with, and, uh, my wife, I wanted to contact her and let her know that I was sorry for the things that I've done, my mom, my dad. So I started to do that, um, and to make amends with people that I've harmed. And, and so God showed me and I felt that that this was the you know the Lord kind of showing sort of like if, if it was in, in, in pieces like a, in like a vision of all the people that I've harmed spewing drugs across America, mm-hmm. which I wasn't seeing them because I was in a different level. Mm-hmm. I wasn't actually on you know on a street corner selling drugs. You know I was in a different kind of position within the cartel, and so God was showing me the people that killed you know, sold their bodies, uh, did horrific things just to consume drugs, the very drugs I was spewing on to society. And I felt so convicted. I felt so bad for the wrongs that I've done. And I wanted to make it right. And so I started to learn more about God. Uh, I applied to a university, uh, a Bible school, Bible Institute, and started to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and started to, you know, utilize that knowledge that God was giving me to um, transform that unit, that cell block, that today, that very unit, that very chapel area that we were worshiping every single day at 7 o'clock, today is still vibrant and strong. Mm-hmm. There are inmates that run it and there are inmates that have services Every single day. And my brother and I were part of growing that ministry and making it viable, making it what it is today. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so you know, we started growing in faith and God was doing incredible things in the prison system, using us until eventually um, my day came for sentencing. Um, I fasted, I prayed. I fasted and prayed and I asked God, you know, I want my wife to get saved now. And so there was um, a fellow inmate uh, that was part of our church ministry. 
he came up to me and says, look, brother, let's pray and fast for three days. No water, no food. And I'm going to pray for the salvation of your wife. And I want you to pray for my case so I can be, you know, I can get deported, sent back to uh, my native land. Because uh, he, had, he had come to America uh, on a violation. So they had deported him for narcotics before. And he, and he re-entered into the United States, yeah. uh, you know, illegally. And so they, they were going to give him five years. And so we prayed and fasted on the third day. They deported him. And on that third day, I received a, phone, uh, um, a message from the correction officers. And they said, Herman, you have a visit. I thought it was my attorney. And I went down to the visiting area and I glanced to the right and I see my wife. And she said, look, I got bad news to tell you. And I said, before you share your bad news, I got good news to share with you. Hmm. And I, I said, sorry, asked her for forgiveness. And I shared the gospel. And she cried. And the Holy Spirit was touching her heart. And she said, you know, forgive me for the, the wrongs I've done. And we confessed our sins, as, as James said, confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. You know, that the prayer of a righteous man availed much and, and God will bring healing. And God brought healing to her life. And she received Christ in that visiting area. Um, and, and the very next day, uh, she went to a church and she got baptized in water. And so we praise God for that. And 9-11 um, happened. Uh, so uh, my sympathy was pushed back for about a month. Um, and I said, God, you know, you know what's best. Whatever, if you want me to do 15 years, 20 years in prison, I am going to serve you. Uh, just like my wife said, she goes, you know, when she went to visit me in that visiting area and when she got saved, she said, I want that Jesus that you have because you're more free in prison than myself that I'm out in society yeah. physically free. so I told the Lord whatever you want I'm going to keep preaching the gospel I'm going to keep sharing this good news uh, to all of those that enter into our dormitory because we had deacons we established uh, deacons I mean we had our church service we were running this particular church ministry and so as folks were entering into the dormitory uh, we have folks that would approach them and say, hey, welcome to the house of God. Here's a Bible. Here's some food. Here's some slippers. We got church service in the back. If you want to come, we're here to serve you. God loves you. And so, I mean, you know, even the, the warden and the administration, they were saying, you know, what's going on here? I mean, the crime rate was dropping. Everything was just, it was a revival that was taking place in this particular prison. Yeah. And so um, I went to... You know, uh, the day of sentencing, and my attorney uh, presented me with a probation report, which just basically means a, a, a history of my uh, my record, uh, my criminal record. And he said, "Look, they, they want to give you a minimum of uh, twelve to fifteen years." And I said, "Look, whatever the Lord wants me to do, whatever time, you know, I'm going to praise Him." But I said, the report that I'm going to listen to is God's report. And so when I entered the, the courtroom, the prosecutor was, you know, uh, presenting his case. But he also said, Your Honor, this particular defendant has done amazing things in prison. He has uh, connected with radio hosts. 
that became his mentor. He has done, uh, helped uh, inmates with, um, you know, with 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 uh, math and and reading and writing. Um, he has done some amazing things in prison, and I hope whatever time you impose on him, that he would do the same thing upon his release. And I was just amazed that this is the prosecutor speaking on my behalf. And so my attorney looks at me and says, this is amazing. And so he presents his case. And then the judge says, uh, Mr. Mendoza, you have any last words uh, to say before I impose sentence on you? And I said, Your Honor, the man that you see here today is a new man in Christ. I said, if you give me the opportunity to uh, reintegrate back into society, I'm going to commit to reaching young people and helping those that are, you know, mixed in drugs and in gangs and addictions and help them uh, transition from that lifestyle to, you know, a life in God. And so he says, that's all you have to say. I said, yes, sir. And pretty much what I got sentenced is all just close to five years in incarceration. And I had around three and a half years waiting for the outcome of my case. Mm-hmm. So it, praise God. This is what the Lord has done. I was then. Uh, sent to penitentiary, and when I was about to get released, I got rearrested by the state because of my first conviction of the 31 kilos of cocaine since I violated the parole. Uh, I was, again, ministering in Rikers Island, helping the inmates there, and the judge looked at my case and says, I'm going to give you revoke and restore. And so he let me go after three months. Uh, God had a place in my heart to start an organization. I started an organization helping young people. I was working with my attorneys as a paralegal because I learned a lot about law and, uh, you know, reading a lot of books in prison. And so I eventually uh, started this organization and uh, God said, look, I want you to go into full-time ministry. So I went to full-time ministry and uh, got recognized in my community by a number of politicians uh, helping young people. Uh, Then I eventually started a newspaper company, got involved in journalism, and then that kind of moved me in the direction to uh, work with other organizations across the city and uh, took a seminar to work with the Billy Graham uh, Evangelistic Association as a chaplain, worked with them for a number of years. And um, then I got connected with an organization to work uh, with ambassadors uh, to the UN, Uh, then got involved with humanitarian uh, aid. I was sending aid to different countries. Then I started getting invitations to speak at universities, uh, Columbia, which was one of them, uh, to the student body of the the School of Social Work. talking about the disparities that happens alongside borders uh, because of, you know, poverty and um, and, uh, other issues, you know, illegal crossings and so forth. Mm -hmm. And um, started to dig more about about my heritage, you know, being from Dominican origin um, to help, you know, the Haitian community and then connected with other artists, uh, secular artists such as Wycliffe Jean to bring about peace and unity. Uh, from there, God sends me uh, to a Korean congregation. I'm Hispanic, 
and he sends me to a career congregation. I'm like, what am I doing here? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I became an associate pastor uh, in New York and with this particular ministry. And then God reveals the very purpose of why, uh, you know, of my calling there, which was and is to work with children. And I'm the director of an organization called Powerhouse Kids. Uh, we train children and young people uh, how to uh, tap in sort of into their potentials, into their gifts and talents by utilizing different means, such as, you know, violin classes, guitar classes, arts and crafts, um, tutoring, um, pottery, uh, and, and, and then share the gospel with them. Yeah. Uh, and so we raise up this new generation. So they can become the leaders of tomorrow. They can be Christ followers and be influential and bring about impact in our society, in our world. And so I'm one of the speakers to this movement. It's called the 414 Window. Mm. Um, And so I travel. I've been to over 50 countries. I've done trainings across the globe. I've been recognized by one of the presidents of the United States. Um, And so here am I. This is, you know, God... What the enemy meant for evil, God turned it around for good. Yeah. And for the very purpose to save many through his spirit. You know, that's my story. And I, I just want to you know, encourage other people with this story. And that's why I wrote this book. It took me four years to write this book, Shifting Shadows, that pretty much highlights um, a troubled soul, a, a you know, prodigal son, someone that was totally lost, uh, that my social uh, studies teacher said you would never, you know, uh, come out of that lifestyle that your life is going to be cut short. You're going to go to jail. You're going to die, yeah. you know, but God's grace and God's mercy that in the midst of what I was doing, you know, uh, just as in the word, the, the word of God says in the book of James, you know, that every good and perfect gift comes from our heavenly father, mm-hmm. the father of lights, you know, and that he does not shift like shifting shadows. Yeah. And I was shifting. I was doing doing all this crazy stuff. But God's protection over me, because he loved me and he has a purpose and a plan for my life. You know, um, and, you know, and he, you know, I, sometimes I, I say, God, I should have been snuffed out a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. You know, but he had a plan for me and a purpose. And this is what it is. You know, and again, I, I've been in platforms with, you know, politicians with recognized individuals with, with, you know, all kinds of people. And I'm a chaplain. Um, now I hold credentials, uh, with the police. And so I'm over here, you know, when a disaster happens or, uh, you know, they contact me, I, I've ministered to the baseball players over at city field with the New York Mets. Um, I, I, just a number of things. I'm just, I'm just so, I'm in awe yeah. of what God has done in my life, you know? So good. And so I just want to encourage other people. How did the opportunity come to, to write the book, Shifting Shadows? Uh, well, basically, um, you know, when I was traveling, a lot of folks were telling me, man, you should incorporate this book in, in writing. Yeah. You know, you should write this down. And so when I was in high school, you know, I used to like to write, but I didn't think I was a good writer. I just, you know, I like to write. Yeah. And, um, so when I was traveling, folks would just tell me, hey, you should write a book. And so I started. Mm. I started to write. Mm. And so I, I hired some editors to kind of clean it up. And I had no idea 
of the editorial uh, world. And so I started to investigate and read more about it and, um, you know, got shot down by other literary agents uh, along the way and eventually landed one uh, that believed in my story and my proposal and my writings. And so uh, God just opened the door and here am I now, you know, I got contracted by uh, Bethany House Publishers, yeah. you know, a division of Baker Publishing Group. And so now my book uh, will be released in uh, May 5th, uh, you know, wherever books are sold, in, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, across the globe. Yeah. And now I have it in print and uh, is also uh, going to be in audio. Uh, and I, I'm just I'm just so grateful and thankful that I can share this story with the world. It would also make a fantastic film, Herman, as well, right? Yes. You know, a lot of people have approached me and have said, hey, when is the movie coming out? <laughs> yeah. And so I really, I really do that. The movie will be, uh, will be on its way. Yeah. What would you say to someone that thinks that they have done too many bad things to be saved by Jesus? It's a very good question, David. You know, uh, I, I kind of point back to me, right, and kind of share my story with them and say, hey, look, look at the stuff that I've done. You know, and, and that God will consider me, mm. you know, someone that has done all this evil, uh, but God will consider me and, and, and change my life around. And so what I try to convey to people like that, mm. to kind of get into their lives and say, hey, even if you have gone so far in your life, the very first steps that you can take is to ask for forgiveness ask for forgiveness and that's the very first step and you know the bible says that <clears throat> that we need to examine ourselves uh to see that if we're in the faith and if it's someone that's not in the faith i say look in that examination you see that without god your life will be just empty and void like my life was yeah in the beginning you know as i was sharing my story with you david so I kind of share that. I say, look, it was empty and void. And now I have purpose and meaning. And and we were created for greatness. We were created with a purpose. Mm-hmm. We were created, you know, to impact our world. And so I let people know that, you know, despite all of their wrongs, that God wants to make it right. Yeah. You know, and, and they kind of, you know, they kind of resonate with that. And they, and they sort of open their their hearts and their minds and they realize hey man if this man has gone that far and i have done the things that i've done and god has forgiven him then he can forgive me as well yeah if we had somebody listening right now and they wanted to know how they can follow jesus what would you say to them yeah i would say the very first step i'll say just say just open your heart and say god you know forgive me here am i you know just like you saved Herman, just like you saved Pastor Mendoza, you just, I want you to save me. I want you to enter into my heart. You know, in Romans in chapter 10, it describes that, that God wants to, to have this relationship with us. You know, this is not about religion. It's about relationship, you know, and that's what God wants uh, to demonstrate with humanity. He wants to bring humanity back to a place of oneness with him. God wants to call you back into your original state in that relationship he had with with, with Adam, you know? And, and, and that's what God wants with mankind. He wants to 
bring us back into a oneness with him. And that's what I would say to those that are struggling, those that are confused, those that are trying to find purpose. And, you know, uh, with so much religion out there, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, he wants to have a relationship with you. He is a gentleman. He does not force himself on you, but he wants you to come to him before it's too late. Because I have, I'll tell you, David, I have lots of folks that I knew in the past that are no longer with me now. You know, there was one in particular that got himself into trouble with some uh, well-known rappers here in in the city. Uh, They're known worldwide. Mm -hmm. uh, And came out of a club, and I I ministered to him. I said, don't go back to the world. And I ministered to him. And and when he was in jail, I used to write to him. And he said, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And when he came out, I spoke to him. He said, man, I'm glad that, you know, that you, you change. I'm glad that you're serving God. But as far as me, I'm going to go back to my hustle and back to the things that I'm that I was doing before. And he went back, and they shot him and they killed him. Yeah. You know, and you know this is you know life could be snuffed you, you life could be snuffed out. Uh, and so I told folks, I said, look, you you know you got to think about your soul uh, because there's only two things that are eternal. It is the word of God and your soul. Yeah. Either your soul will be judged for uh, a condemnation, separation, et- eternally separated from God, which that it will be horrific. Yeah. There's no words to kind of put it into context, right? And the word of God, which is eternal. Yeah. So you either have an eternal re- an eternal rest with God. You live forever or separation from God yeah. and this is what I tell folks I say you don't want to be separated from our creator mm-hmm. the one that created the heavens and the earth yeah. that, that is a very tormented place yeah. to be separated from God yeah. Herman what's the best way for people to reach out to you <laughs> uh, they can reach out to me uh, via my um, uh, website yep. which is uh uh Mendoza M E N D O Z A dot com. Herman Mendoza dot com. Uh or they can find me at Instagram. They can just search my name Herman Mendoza on Twitter. Uh they can reach me through those uh outlets. Excellent. Well, we'll put the links to those um, accounts in the uh, description below. Herman, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking to you today. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. God bless you.